Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, we've just celebrated Independence Day, right? Uh, This last week, many of you have gathered here. This is our busiest week on the island. So many people have come, and uh, it seems like the island is floating a little bit lower in the water these days. uh, But it's a good time to remember and reflect. uh, 243 years ago, uh, Independence, uh, we declared, uh, and it was signed, and and yet there is a seven-year war that came out of that fighting for freedom, and it's that's a great thing, isn't it? Who doesn't love freedom? Well, as we think through the historical annals, there's some who didn't really appreciate our freedom. <laughs> as we declared our, our independence from the British, they, uh, they had other ideas about what they thought. And that often is the case for those who are proclaiming freedom from something. Well, those who are in charge sometimes don't like that, <laughs> which is much the case of the, the beginnings of the Church of of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been looking in the book of Acts of of how God is bringing the people who follow Jesus together as they emerge from the the teachings of Jesus, as he takes the Old Testament scriptures and and has brought them to bear to show how God had a plan all along in dealing with the sinfulness of mankind and drawing people back to himself, that he was going to pay the price himself. Allusions to this and and descriptions of this in in the Psalms and in Isaiah and many of the other passages in the Old Testament. And and Jesus highlighted those in his time on earth and and in having died and then rose from the dead and then ascended to heaven, now has given the task to his disciples and, and they begin proclaiming Jesus the Christ. How does this work? How does this happen? And what's going to happen next? Well, we have started looking at this. Last week we looked in chapter 3, and, and Peter and John, they were walking along to the temple. Uh, they, part of their practice was to worship at the temple that was there in Jerusalem. They were still in Jerusalem. Uh, at some point they're going to move away from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, but now they're still in Jerusalem, and they go to temple to worship at the time of prayer. And, and as they're going, there's a guy who has been lame for his whole life. He's a 40-year-old guy, and he's... He says, have mercy on me, and I need help. And, and Peter and John, on their way to pray, they stop and they look right at him intently and say, look at us, making a connection with him. Say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he, Peter reaches up and picks him up. And he's able to walk. And not only does he walk, he's jumping and he's so excited because he can live differently now. His life is completely changed. He can walk. He's been lame since he was, well, since he was born. Can you imagine the dynamics? Part of the end of, of this chapter was, of chapter 3, was just the, the amusing part of, of this man just hanging on to Peter and John. Wherever they went, they just, they just clung to them. If they were speaking there, he would be clung to them. Why? Because he's so excited. And the people in the, in the temple, they're like, 
what's going on there? Those who are near could see it happening, and, and you, you know how uh, uh, some kind of uh, event gathers attention, and people are like, well, what's going on over there? Let me go see what's going on over there. And Oh, hey, that's that guy. We've seen this guy for decades. He, he's walking. How did that happen? Well, how did this happen? And, and Peter, into this mix, says, hey, people... Uh, don't think that we did this on our own power. This was this was the work of Jesus of Nazareth, and and begins preaching about him, and 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 talks to the people about repenting from their sins and turning to God, that times of refreshing might come to them, and that's the message that they bring forth. Well, this commotion gets the attention of well the leadership in the community, particularly the religious leadership. What's going on? What's happening here? There's all these people that are gathered around. What's happening? And that's where we enter this story in Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, if you turn there, otherwise it'll be on the screen. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So having set up that, uh, Peter having just given this speech, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. That is a quote from Psalm 118. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Every, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called him in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. 
at the outset of this series through the book of Acts, we noted that there was going to be all kinds of dramatic things that were happening here. There'd be spectacular healings and, and, and tragic things, as, as well as a little humor along the way. And, and I think we have all of those pieces that, that come together in this. We have this man who has been healed miraculously, and there he is, clinging on to Peter and John, holding on, not letting him go. And the people astonished and wonder and listening to what Peter has to say about this is what God had planned all along. And then the attention of the leaders, the, the chief priests, uh, the temple guard, and, and the Sadducees. Well, this is, this is disturbing stuff to them. One of the notes about uh, the chief priest most of whom would have been Sadducees, as well as the rest of the Sadducees are there. Uh, one of the distinctives of what they believed is they did not believe the resurrection was going to happen. They didn't believe that that was a concept that, that you could find in the scriptures. The Pharisees were another sect of Judaism, and they did believe in the resurrection, and that that was something that was talked about, particularly in, in, in the book of Daniel. So there was this divide, but for the Sadducees, it was pretty clear for them, this is not a thing. And to have these guys talking about the resurrection of the dead, it's like, we, we got to stop this. And, and so seeing this commotion, seeing all that happen, they, well, they, they bring him in and they put him in jail. It's like, what are we, what are we going to do? It's like, ah, I just put him in jail for now. Let's figure this out. And so they spent the night conferring and, 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 and begin to talk with him and, and it indicates who is there. We have Annas, the high priest. And we have Caiaphas. We've seen these names before. If you have read through the Gospels and, and what happened to Jesus when he was arrested and put on trial, Annas and Caiaphas were there. They're still part of this because this is probably only 60 to 90 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. The main characters are still there and they're wondering, what is going on? How did you do this? How did you do this? This is a, a spectacular thing. It was something, obviously, they couldn't deny. The man is walking. The man for 40 years has not been walking, and all of a sudden, he is. And not just walking, jumping, and, and rejoicing. How did you do this? And Peter answers, it's, it's the name of Jesus. That's how we did this. This Jesus, you know this Jesus, because it was 90 days ago. You killed him. You crucified this guy. And yet God raised him. God raised him, you Sadducees. He was dead. You saw him dead. You put the Romans in charge of that. They took care of it. But God raised him. Because what you've rejected... God uses as a cornerstone. And he makes that quotation from Psalm 118, which, which becomes a particularly important uh, passage for, for the church as it's growing because of what it says about Jesus, that, that that which they rejected, the stone they rejected, has become the cornerstone upon which everything is going to be built. It's the centerpiece of how it gets founded. That's Jesus, who you killed. And, and that wonderful verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Uh, Peter and John, 
They've gone through this and have been faithful all along, haven't they? They're going to the temple to pray. They see a man, they stop, and they heal him. And you think on some level, everything should be a cakewalk after this. <laughs> oh, and yet they're thrown in jail. And, and, and many of us would probably be in a situation where we would say, God, what gives? I've done everything right here. I've done everything you've asked me to. How, how could this possibly happen to me? I'm being arrested. I'm putting in this not nasty jail. Some even indication that the guy they healed is thrown in jail too because when they come out, he's still there with them. So how is this fair? That's certainly a lot of times what we would say in our world, but that's not, that's not the things that... Peter and John are saying as they're given re questions as to what they did and how they did it for them their faithfulness uh, then follows up with, with an indicator to continue to witness for the Lord to tell them this is what happens because it's all about their witness we said that again and again. In, in, in chapter 1, when they were looking for someone to replace Judas, it had to be someone who was a witness to Jesus, had sen, seen Jesus, had been with them since the baptism of John the Baptist, all the way through his ascension. It, it had to be someone who had seen, couldn't be hearsay. We've seen this happen, and we can only tell you, we are compelled to tell you what's going on here. And so... Yeah, they were faithful, but they got in trouble anyways. That's going to happen. They would have remembered Jesus' comments to them that the world hates me. It's going to hate you as well because of me. They're beginning to experience that. Uh, this is part of what we have to face uh, in, in our country, in, in, in our communities. We seldom deal with that on such a, a strident level as, as they faced but it happens our brothers and sisters around this world suffer greatly because of their testimony to Jesus Christ and, and I think increasingly we will see that kind of opposition even within our own communities as this, this message that it's only Jesus is going to be more and more repugnant to our communities and societies even this day, uh, this last week, uh, Amazon uh, withdrew a book in, that they were selling uh, because of the opposition of some. They said, we don't like that. We think that should be getting rid of. A book by Joe Nicolosi, it, it had to do with reparative therapy for those who wanted to be changed from an orientation of, of same-sex attraction. And, and Joe Nicolosi has been working since the 60s and 70s with those who wanted change. And, and so some of his books talk about that. But that doesn't fit the, the narrative that some want. And so they petitioned strongly for Amazon to remove it from their, their website. And, and they've done that. Which begs to the question, what, what's next? What is going to be repugnant to society because it's inconvenient for them that they continue to censor those ideas? This is going to increasingly happen 
to the Christian church. Why? Because this message is exclusive. It is only Jesus. There are not many roads to the top of the mountain. There is only one way by which salvation comes. It is only through Jesus. Peter directs that here. He certainly would have had in mind what Jesus said in John chapter 14, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. This is the message. And because the message does not embrace everyone, it's going to be harder and harder for people to accept that and for them to say, this is not okay within our society to be so exclusive. Difficulties will come. Despite the fact that we're faithful to follow the Lord, to live for him and to testify him. This is one of the promises that we face. But Peter and John, what did they do with this? They, they turned this opportunity as an opportunity turn this this crisis as an opportunity to tell others this is what Jesus did remember you crucified him but God raised him again this doesn't fit with your theology Sadducees but this is what God has done Uh, what's interesting is that the response to the leaders as they look at these guys because they're they're a little perplexed here you got these fishermen and they're nice Jewish boys, and we are the leaders of the Jewish community and, and the faith. And, and normally in these circumstances, people would just cower before us. But here are these guys, and they are bold, and they are courageous, and they are quoting scriptures to us. Who are these guys? How did this happen? How did they come? And, and, and what we see is, is the work of the Spirit and discipleship within their midst. That, that as these guys went through their time with Jesus, they learned a whole lot of things. For them, it would have been about education, of spending time in, in the schools and learning the law, the, the Torah, the, 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 the scriptures in formal settings. And, and yet these guys didn't do that. So they could tell by, by their, their accents and, and, and even by their vocabulary, no doubt. They're not schooled, but they speak. How did this happen? And I think this is the dynamics of discipleship in, in our world and in our day as well. That what is it that we're connected to? That, that being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ means a lot of things. These disciples, well, they had three years with Jesus, the Son of God. I went to seminary. The seminary programs usually go three years. I, I'm thinking that three years with Jesus, the Son of God, is, is probably a whole lot better and more intense than three years of seminary in one of our schools. Now, now I have a degree that says I've learned lots of stuff, but they'd spend time with the Master. And they learned how Jesus looked at the Scriptures and how he interpreted them, and then how he lived them out. Because it's not just about head knowledge, is it? But what, what Jesus demonstrated for them, that it was, it was the head and the heart and the hands. Uh, the heart, our, our seat of our emotions, our will and, and, and our compassion, our hands, our actions. All of these things come together and they would have seen that in Jesus. They would have observed that Jesus was compassionate to others and loving them and, and healed many people. And so when someone 
came up to them and said, we need, I need your help. They were able to respond with compassion. I don't have money, but what I do have, stand in the name of Jesus. That's what discipleship is. We, we need to know our, our scriptures. We need to be attentive to what the word is. And they're able to, to, to understand and use passages like Psalm 118 and Psalm 2 and, and other passages and, and bring that into the conversation with these exalted leaders because they knew their scriptures, but they'd also spent time with the master. I, I love my, my seminary education. I had a, a great time, particularly when I was going there full time, but, but my life has been shaped by more than that. When I was in high school, uh, a fellow named Kurt Zisser ministered into my life, and he spent time with me and my friend Mike, and, and, and guided us to what it meant to be a follower. And when we went off to college, he challenged us with, with the things that we were going to do and the things that we were not going to do to make stands even before we got there. And, and then when I was in college, another man named John Fisco spent time with me and guiding me and, and helping me to understand the scriptures and using materials to do that. And when I started in ministry, uh, a man named Paul Briars was my senior pastor, and he guided an, an impetuous 25-year-old and, uh, who sometimes could fly off the handle. I says, okay, settle down. Probably not worth risking your job over. And taught me what it was to be a follower and, and to be a leader within his church. And then at the seminary, to spend time with, with professors in the classroom, but also outside and seeing their hearts and their lives because that's the heart of discipleship, isn't it? It is knowledge. It is us understanding the word and, and, and knowing it. And so, so us reading our, our scriptures and, and, and knowing what it says is important, but walking aside, alongside one another and learning how this gets lived out as well as thought out and then acted out with our hands. This is why these men could speak with courage and strength because they'd been discipled by the Lord and as part of what they continued to do within their ministry. Well, these leaders, they don't know what to do with them. Obviously, this guy got healed. They're like, just stop. Just stop this. And you'd think that your religious authority would have the last say in this. But uh, we get in here uh, the seeds of maybe what civil disobedience is. That while the scriptures does say to honor the authorities and to listen to them and obey them, there are some things where we say no. Which is better, for us to listen to you or to God? We cannot help but to speak on this. And so they sent them away. Well, on their release, and this is in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is, the, this, this is a prayer all the way through to 30. Sovereign Lord, 
You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That a quote from Psalm 2. He goes on. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. As the story goes on, what do they do? How do they respond to God's work in their life? They gather together in their community and they pray. And they pray fervently to God, not asking for rescue from the persecution that they were facing, from the scrutiny they were having, from possible beatings, and that will continue. That's not what they pray for. They pray for boldness. That understanding that God was doing his work all along and it intended that even the circumstances of Jesus' death, God knew that and planned it beforehand. He, he was going to use their evil and wicked actions to advance his story and to propel that story even into our day to live this out. And so what do the people of God do? As we face scrutiny, as we face difficulty, well, we go to him. We bring our lives before him. Prayer is essential for us, isn't it? We need to spend time bringing our lives, our hearts to God asking for his wisdom and his guidance and direction. We rely on him. When we think that we got this covered, we can do it ourselves. I, I know what to do in this situation. That's our pride. And we need to submit that to God. And all that we do, how we live this life, how we talk with people, Lord, help us. And so with that, let us stand for closing prayer. Our Father, we, we need you. Thank you so much for this picture of what you were doing in Peter and John and, and in this lame man and bringing healing to him and how they approached the controversy, the scrutiny, and the accusations that they faced. Lord, they did it by focusing and directing the glory to you in all things. Lord, as we live our lives, as we interact with others, may our hearts be so filled with your spirit that we can echo with them, that we cannot help but tell others about what you've done for us. You have rescued us. And we say thank you for that. 
You have saved us by your grace. And you call us to turn our eyes to you. To plead with you for your help and strength. Not to be freed from difficulty, but to have the strength to walk through and endure it. Spirit of God, we need you. Guide us this day. Inspire us and direct us this week. And Lord, may we always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have, to do that with gentleness and respect. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing around us, that we may join you in what you're doing in our lives. Because they are your lives. As we've taken this communion, we are saying we are yours. You are our Lord. And we find that refreshing. We come before you through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.